Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courting Turner Podcast. I am here today with Matt Volinsky. He is a tech media attorney and startup advisor. He's also a fellow podcaster, The Prevailing Narrative. How are you doing today? Doing well, how about yourself? Doing pretty well, yeah. So I wanna hear a little bit about how you got in, how you transitioned or like what made you start this podcast, become sort of like a news aggregator as a lawyer and a uh, startup advisor. Sure. So I've always been pretty outspoken on social media and always been really interested in current events, news. I don't like leading with the word politics, but that is a pretty hefty one. But I was always commenting pretty, pretty consistently on it. Um, But if you're just if you're not a specialist, you don't really think about doing it in a more formal manner because you don't have kind of one thing. I was always a generalist. Anytime I think about starting a podcast or start doing something more formal, it would be like, I I don't have a thing, right? Right. Um, However, I was speaking- I relate to that, by the way. Yeah, that that held me up for quite a while. (laughs) Absolutely, I probably was four four years or so uh, not moving on this because I didn't have a topic or a niche. Um, but I was always very outspoken. One area of focus for me was on how the, the, the information environment had been corrupted on how news, I mean, you say fake news because it's tainted with, with the sheen of Donald Trump, but it's kind of fake news, right? I mean, the, the legacy news organizations and corporate media are not quality. They're not honest. They're not good quality. They've really, they're like a, a restaurant or a nightclub that all of a sudden had to let it expanded the space. So they had to let in so many more people to keep the business full that it reduced the quality of the, of the attendees, right? If that, that analogy works at all, but I was very much a student of how the news organizations in in the digital world were, were using their tricks and how they were manipulating opinion, manipulating consensus and what their little tricks of the trade were. Um, And that became that start that, however handy that came in, that started coming in very handy towards the beginning of the pandemic. The first month or so of the pandemic, I became a bit of a go-to because everyone all of a sudden is turning a lot of attention and focus to whether the, the quality of the information coming at them from news organizations. They're relying on these people to tell them what's going on with this pandemic. And this information that's coming to them is going to is is going to impact the quality and direction of their life for the foreseeable future, right? Um, and I just went into overdrive, breaking down this news. And I mean, looking back on it, I was wrong on a lot of stuff. But here's the thing. I was a lot closer to right 
than most of the other people commenting. And I would kind of break down these stories saying, hey, here's this source that I found from Europe and you're hearing all this stuff on CNN about uh, what's going on in Italy or here, here, but I found a source directly from Europe that's got really quality information or check out this story, the headline, this is the one that happens all the time is the headline doesn't, the, the headline does not match the story in the body of the article and you point that type of thing out or how there's um, uh, kind of rhetorical tricks with mentioning uh, the placement of commas and, and experts say or fact checkers say, lying with statistics. It's like, okay, this percentage, it, it mentioning a percentage, but not, not mentioning what the underlying basis for the calculating the percentage was, all those types of things. And also uh, uh, how a lot of information was being kind of shrouded around the origination of the virus and China's role and things of that nature. And so I went somewhat viral I probably doubled my Instagram following in about six weeks, wow. tripled it by the end of, by, by Memorial Day. And I mean, I think I, I went from, I think like 5,000 followers on Instagram to a little over 36,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. And it's just kind of continued since then where, where people have kind of looked to me to comment and give my thoughts on a number of, a number of issues, Con, you know, stuff that's more topical and contemporary, stuff around the pandemic or you know i guess crime is an issue in particular that a lot of people seem to to look to, uh, at me uh, to comment on um and stuff that's a little more perennial let's call it than, than the pandemic right yeah when you say that you were wrong about some things what are some of the things that surprised you uh to learn i mean for instance um even just you know the the usefulness uh, of lockdowns just for instance right um it made sense. Okay, keep everyone away from each other for a couple months, and this this thing spreads. The more people circulate, and the more business and social activity there is, the more this thing is going to circulate. And great if we can really do the right thing over the next six weeks, it will it will ease the ease the burden on us over the next two years. And we all you know then learn. Okay, this was inevitable. Essentially, once a, a virus has broken out, it's next to impossible to get rid of it. And it's going to have to circulate within the population. And you're, you're going to have to rely on some combination of therapeutics, vaccines, prior, you know, immunity from infection and things of that nature. Like, I, I didn't realize that at the time. Um, some of the uh, some of the the more restrictive policies of blue state governors, such as mine, Gavin Newsom, I, I justified at the time, and I said, okay, well, listen, it's in the, the best name of health, um, it's it's in the best name of public health, and you know, uh, the, they will, it, they can't be this self defeating. That they've got to know that voters are going to hold this against them by continuing to disrupt their lives. There's no way that they're they're going to keep on doing this any a, a second longer than they than they need to. That, of course, turned out not to be true, and voters, at least thus far, have not punished them for it. Um, I was also wrong on how much the virus had already begun circulating, but by the time we started testing for it in mid to late March, I thought that really there it, it, it that had the virus been around for months beforehand you know even from january or late 2019 oh that would have shown up in hospital numbers and and there's no way that that could have been hidden and then as it turns out okay the they're actually a lot of people did get covid in january and february maybe some in december we're still trying to determine that but yeah i i i, I whiffed on that but I mean, hey it's, think about 
uh, if those are your only whiffs, I mean, that's a pretty good record. And, yeah, and no. My, my sub observations and how I was breaking down stories and information, yeah. it was definitely, I mean, and not just me, I know other independent commentators who were just light years, be, uh, light years more accurate and more comprehensive than the people who were on cable news. Oh, for, for sure, for sure. Not what? that it's hard to, to meet that standard, but yes. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's, that, that bar is set kind of low, but yeah. definitely good to beat it, for sure. For sure. Um, when you, as you started diving more into this, what were some of the biggest things that surprised you about the media itself and about what were some challenges that came up for you that you didn't foresee in trying to now present more truthful type of news for people? I mean, I, I'm not particularly surprised because I hold them in such low, low esteem, but it does still quite, it does still consistently shock me how craven they are and how, and, and the depths that they will sink to vilify and smear people who deviate from their narrative. Um, and you'd want to believe that there still is some goodwill and good faith and that people want to try to find common ground. And I just, I, I very rarely if ever see it. It's just, it's so selective when you see them actually do the right thing or encounter a contrary opinion or belief um, and, and accept that as part of a discourse of an exercise in trying to find the truth as opposed to just smearing anyone who deviates and and kind of the way i put it is uh uh it's, it's almost like a religion and you've got to adhere to the dogma and if you don't adhere to the dogma you're the saharitic um and i i just find while i i hold them in very low low esteem their their dishonesty always does seem to shock me because I, i'd like to believe that they hold themselves up to a higher standard but they don't um so what was your second question the second question was what were some of the biggest challenges for you in uh you know, trying to raise the bar, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it, listen, it's it's the same challenge as anyone trying to seek truth was. I mean, you, you do have to, you, you have to be very self-critical, right? And you have to make sure that you're not doing the same thing that you're accusing other people of doing, which is uh, confirmation bias, only using data points that support your point, missing data points, not looking at things through a three-dimensional lens. It's called do, doing the first layer of analysis, but not the second or third. Um, and also, and this was an easier one for me to avoid, but I think it, you know, you still have to be caught, you know, conscious of it, um, is audience capture and in not, not just catering to an audience, mm -hmm. not, being careful that wait a second are you doing this just for likes are you doing this just because you know it's it's going to get uh it, it, you're going to get a lot of applause and everyone's going to pile on and it's it, it, it it's interesting to go through that experience because you can tell oh wow this is tempting that it is tempting to continue to throw red meat right. to your audience that you know that they're going to you know just 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 inhale um and and to try to build a following that way and who knows maybe i've actually done that a couple times maybe i've made a couple of missteps but i think overall i've been able to avoid audience capture better than most that's awesome um yeah. you were saying how like you, know, you don't necessarily want to call it politics you, you refer to it more as news media aggregate. current events current events yeah i'm yeah. curious though about your political views and if they have shifted over time mm -hmm. um or your perspectives, yeah. Sure. 
Yeah. So I was through my my teens and twenties, very much your your standard left of center, Bill Clinton-y, Barack Obama, business friendly. I mean, a lot of people don't think Barack Obama was business friendly. I think once again, he got a grade on curve. But the new breed center left Democrat, business friendly, Bill Clinton, but still not, but very much rejected what the Republicans were putting out there. And I, I'm. I despise the George W. Bush era Republicans and everything they did uh, with the Iraq war and, and the war on terror. Um, I think they did untold harm to this country. And I, I would not, I would not, I would not shed a tear if we exiled George Bush to freaking an island out in the middle of nowhere. Um, however, I did start as the, the Democrats started adopting a lot of you know, kind of more radical social uh, policies and, and platforms that had kind of been, you know, in the, let's call it 2006 to 2012, very much fringe and started the, the kind of salon, right? Salon was known as kind of the, the um, more fringe out there reflection, the, the reflection of the more fringe uh, Democrat social policy agenda, right? And this all of a sudden became their the their core platform very quick and no I, I rejected that i was like i started seeing a lot of this racial essentialism the attempt to redefine gender and and this whole gender fluid movement i'm sorry i'm not on board i'm not i do not agree with this and i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i agree with this and i'm not going to stay in your coalition uh just to not be a republican if you guys if you guys are going to make this the cornerstone of your platform and i believe they did so i mean i i very much yeah definitely drifted more to the right um i have no particular affection for the republican party but i mean if i'm if i'm looking at forget the national political scene if i'm looking at the california political scene or new york which are two you know california is my home state but my family's from new york and those are the two states that i was associate myself with i know i know who runs those states and i know who is is uh uh <clears throat> i know who i can trace the problem in those states back to i know who's responsible for that and it ain't the republicans okay republicans have no power either politically or culturally in either of these two states and in both of these two states both of these two states are being grossly mismanaged. I think uh, California even more than New York. And so, yeah, I, I'm I'm a California Republican. On a national level, I might not be. I mean, I, my vote is up for grabs. I don't like I said, I, I don't have any deep affection or or allegiance to the Republican Party. But I know in California, I know who's I know who's screwing things up, and it is this uh, suffocating one party demo controlled Democratic machine. So yeah, I reject that very zealously. Yeah, well, I, I I grew up right outside New York City, lived in New York, and then I lived in uh, LA. So yeah, I very much saw that, and they, they, yeah. that is the reason I left. <laughs> so Hopefully. it's like, all right, you know, I, I I just I don't have to stay on your train. I don't have to stay on board. I could very much have found the way that the California Democrats operated the state to be suboptimal but feasible. In the two thousand, in the aughts and early two thousand tens, and the way that they're operating the state now, I, I, I'm, I reject. I am not on board. I want so I want them out. Why do you think that they continue to prevail? Um, in those areas, a few things. Um, one, as the country has become more divisive and tribal, there are now additional social penalties for deviating right so uh, as as 
a lot of people during a phase where life was more stable and getting better civically in cosmopolitan coastal America, they stopped paying attention to politics and they just started associating with a, a set of, of cultural views and uh, that, you know, and very much, I mean, it does, it made sense for a lot of people in California to, to reject what the Republicans were putting out there in the 2000s. I was one of them. I don't blame them. So then as things get more divisive and more tribal, then that all gets calcified even further and, and the division goes even deeper. And so then you get to a point where you don't even want to admit to holding a contrary view in the state of California, where, you know, 2007 with it still being a democratic dominated state, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Republican, as governor, you might there there might be, have been more uh, space to do that. And so then these machines, once they're in power, they start gaining more power. And it's because your average citizen doesn't pay attention. I, you have no idea how many friends of mine um, are just kind of more more passive left of center Democrats who always just vote Democrat because they never think of it. They never everything's going fine enough in California. There's no reason for them to look any deeper right until the last let's call it things were on a slow creep in the wrong direction starting in about 2015 and then you know up till the pandemic but you could you could blanket that all over donald trump was such a lightning rod no one paid attention but now a lot of people are paying attention they're like all uh, we i didn't pay attention to local uh, elections i didn't pay attention to the district attorney to the la county sheriff to the school board to the House of Representatives, to the city council. And so whoever was in power got to benefit from that because they were just doing their thing where your average citizen wasn't paying attention. And then your average citizen pay, turns around after 10 years of one party dominant rule and realizes, Jesus Christ, these people are running things into the ground and they're difficult to dislodge. <clears throat> and that's what a ton of people I know are waking up, have woken up to over the last two years. Well, that's very, very encouraging to hear. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll find out this year. We'll, we'll find 2022. We're going to find out. I mean, um, we the first good sign with this very radical left leaning um, councilman named Mike Bonin. There was a recall attempt against him. I mean, he, he's he's responsible for the de the deterioration of the Venice Boardwalk, and he, in his mind, the the idea of of telling a homeless person that they cannot sleep, that they cannot camp. Uh, on a sidewalk. I mean, just no, you cannot impinge on their civil rights by telling them that they cannot sleep in public spaces. Uh, uh, he, there's no, there is no criminal behavior or activity that he will not excuse, right? I'm not just talking about homeless people being homeless, right? If they assault people, if they harass people, if they, um, if, if they pull out a weapon, but don't draw blood, he will excuse that. Um, there was a recall attempt against him. Um, it fell short by a thousand signatures based on technicalities, but he realized what was going on. He realized sentiment that he only survived on a technicality and realizes that, realized that sentiment again had turned against him. And so he, he, he uh, announced that he will not be running for re-election this year. So that's the first good sign. Um, I talk with people behind the recall of our, another radical lunatic district attorney who another, everyone now, oh my God, had I known he was gonna do these things, I wouldn't have voted for him. Well, you should have paid attention, guys. Um, they've already raised about $3 million to go uh, uh, for the recall campaign, including many, a lot of money from Democrats. I guess we'll see. I think we're gonna be able to get the signatures to recall him. So we're gonna see in 2022 in LA if the sentiment has really shifted. 
Yeah, yeah, let, let's hope so. It, it, yeah. It's gotten pretty bad. It's definitely gotten really bad. And uh, terrible. the crime is definitely. And the mismanagement and just the, the tone deafness of the politicians and them only having allegiance to this radical left agenda and the interest groups that, that share those beliefs. Like, no, you've got to answer to the citizens yeah. that you represent. And they're not doing that. No. And all politics are local. You know, I think that that, if anything, that people can be learning uh, from the current zeitgeist is that this, they have the, if there's any place there is any power, it is locally and people need to start paying attention to local politics. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it, these elections matter. The people that you, okay, where, going back to whether or not I consider this to be what I do to be a political podcast or commentary, it's more about the forces that shape life, right? And part of that is who has the power to set the rules. I'm interested in politics because politics determines who gets to set the rules, right? Yeah, you're, exactly. you're electing people and saying, this person has a right to make the rules for where I live or, or the state, the nation, what have you. And people right now, like I said, are waking up to some, some harsh realities about the type of person that is that now has power over them because they are an elected official in their state or maybe a bureaucrat that was appointed by an elected official yeah the word government is a derivative of meaning to control so yeah, yeah to control totally totally so what are some of the things you've found about the media you were talking a little bit about like their tricks and their tactics uh what, what are some things that you see that they do? There's an entire, you got to, people got to understand in the age of digital media where you, okay, so think about that, my, my analogy before about a club that gets expanded and then has to let in more people. That's what happened with increasing the shelf space and the inventory going from the, the, uh, the analog age to the digital age when it was just hard copy paper, newspaper, magazines, you had a limited amount of stories that you could print, right? You, a paper was only so big each day. In the digital era, there's endless inventory. They can print as many stories as they can type out and press send on, right? Yeah. So they, and the way that this works is that there is some, I don't want to say conspiracy, but there is colluded effort uh, amongst all these different sites that have a similar uh, that that have a similar, let's call it valent, you know, valence of maybe a more liberal or about pop culture, um, and once one one uh, paper one site will publish a story, and then off to the races, three hundred other sites publish the same story based off of theirs, and that's what creates these social media firestorms. And it's like a person who's in in the who's in the target of this. If you're just a normal person out there on the internet trying to search for news, you're in the line of fire there. That they're shooting off these missives and these stories nonstop, and it's just kind of overwhelming. And so you have to be able to wade through that and see and separate what's true true from false. In despite it's seeming like there's a consensus from all these different publications saying the same thing. It's like, they didn't all research it, guys. I'm sorry to break it to you. <laughs> yeah. one, one site, this is actually how it works. One site publishes a story and then 300 other sites just reprint them or publish a story based on their story. So do not mistake. So they can get the cross links. It actually helps. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, they are manipulating that. So don't let, don't, 
take volume, don't mistake volume for consensus. This isn't a consensus. It's just that they, they went, they, they, there's no standards. There's no ethics. They just saw a story that decided to go print it, reprint it. That's it. Yeah, no, that's uh, and it's really scary because you can see, Crazy. right. And we've all seen those images of like, you know, the news where they have the same talking heads and it's like that same copy that they're all doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're not, they, they didn't all research it, as you said. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how, what would your advice for people be to, so there, there, I, I do think there's a percentage of people who are starting to wake up to something, you know, not mm -hmm. being quite right. And to the fact that maybe the legacy media does not always give them the truth and, uh, yeah. you know, that they need to dig a little bit deeper, but because people have been uh, diluted for so long and they have not, I mean, critical thinking seems to be a lost art and a lost skill. Um, what would your advice for somebody who is starting to wake up to, you know, hey, maybe the legacy media isn't the be all end all. Um, what, how do they discern through, I mean, there is just an overwhelm. Yeah, of yeah. You, you've, you've got to read and you've got to look at things from multiple angles, right? And I'm going to say it's that I'm, my answer may not lead to the, where you think it may lead because a lot of this, well, look what the other side's saying. Stop thinking in, in the prism of two sides, that it's either MSNBC or Breitbart. There's so many other publications and writers out there who don't follow within either of those. I mean, go read Tablet, go read Unheard, go read, uh, I mean, try, you know, it, it just go read some of the writers on Substack. Like it's when, when you're trying to find a different perspective, it doesn't have to be just the crazy perspective on the other side. Search for normal, sober, thoughtful perspectives that are more in the middle. And also, yes, read, you gotta go read the story to see if it fits the headline, okay? And you've got okay. to it, right? And Half the time of, it doesn't, the headline is just clickbait. <laughs> the headline, dude, the headline is there to be shared. They construct the headline for shareability, not for truth. And nine times out of 10, it is, it's not a good representation of what's actually in the story. So those are a couple. And uh, don't search for just two sides, search for four sides. And I know it's more work, but I'm sorry. That's what it, that's, this is what it takes now. If you want to actually get a full perspective, it's not just, you know, maybe in 2007, you could read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, you get a, a slightly more liberal perspective, you get a slightly more conservative perspective. That ain't going to cut it anymore. It's so fragmented, you need to look at it from four or five different angles. Yeah, and that, that speaks to a point that I, I like to really drive home with people. People get very trapped in, because it's easier, you know, people get trapped in binary logic. You know, they, they like things to be black and white. And the truth of the matter is that, you know, life mostly resides in the shades of gray. It does not reside in the black Certainly. and white. Um, but it's much easier for people to deal with the black and white. Mm -hmm. um, and anything that is, you know, slightly nuanced or uh, not familiar to them, it's much easier to just reject that than it is to dig deeper and try to parcel out where, you know, most of something could be accurate that doesn't make it 100% accurate and there may be elements of it that are not accurate and mm -hmm. you know vice versa the opposing side could have you know elements that are accurate and others that aren't you know totally no but and that's yes as as you said a false binary of of mm -hmm. universally correct or universally false right 
It's no, someone, this is what they're missing with the whole Joe Rogan thing and the people he interviewed. The people he interviewed were right about a lot of things. They were wrong about a couple of things, Mm -hmm. but they were more right than they were wrong. And here's the thing, the people accusing, you know, the people trying to censor Rogan, like, sorry to break it to you guys, your track record ain't that good. Okay, (laughs) you put a lot of wrong shit too. And so if you could, if you can, uh, if you can look at, if they try to silo or segment off only one topic and say, whether or not someone was right on this particular topic is the sole determinant of their credibility. It's like, no, you've been wrong about a ton of stuff and you don't want to account for it. And there's a bunch of other stuff that these guys, that Rogan was right about, but Rogan even admitted, he's like, I'm sir, I'm trying to figure this out. I, I noticed so many things that didn't add up. So I went to search for explanations because the story I was getting from you people was false. And he was entirely justified in believing and He was entirely justified and, and validated in finding the mainstream narrative bullshit. And he went to go talk with people who are extremely credentialed to go see if there was, figure out what the explanation was. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and he's just asking the questions. I mean, he himself admits he, he's not the expert on any of these topics. And, uh, and in fact, I would yeah. even argue a lot of the times what he presents is actually the mainstream narrative. Yeah. You know, the, the experts may have some views that or research findings that don't compute with that. Yeah, it's all, it's all selective and arbitrary. People want to cherry pick whatever they can to make the other person uh, uh, make the other person look as bad as possible, impeach their credibility. And this is what it goes back to uh, when I'm talking about dogma, because with dogma, you're not allowed to be right about some stuff and wrong about other stuff, right? right? Um, you, you need full, ubiquitous, across the board, submission and acceptance, or you're a heretic. And that's the type of environment that we live in right now. It's like, there's some other people, I can acknowledge when some other people have been, you know, right. I'm not, if they've been right and wrong, I'm going to view them as having a mixed record, not as being completely wrong. Right. If a person has a mixed record, view them as having a mixed record instead of trying to vilify everything they say. Right. Well, I mean, also people are human. I mean, even the, the, the brightest and the, you know, most competent experts in the world are going to be wrong about something. They're totally. human, they're valuable, you know? Yeah. And, and well, that's the thing about Rogan. He acknowledges that, that he's got fallacies and, and he, he is flawed. And he's saying that's even why I'm having these conversations because no, I know that I'm not totally equipped to figure all this out myself. Um, and then contrast that with those who think that they know everything. Right. So it's a very sharp contrast there. Yeah. And it does seem like there seems to be, a, as you were saying before, a collusion between those who are trying to censor and put forth one narrative. What, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, it's almost like they're collaborating as opposed to conspiring. Cause there's, it's not, there's, there's no secret meeting, right? Um, there might be some meetings that have some semblance of that, but they're not all, it's not like the, these brilliant um, all-knowing minds meet in the back room and say, we're going to push this narrative. These are all very, these are not, the people who run news organizations are not that smart, right? But there's, there's more of an architecture in place. Well, they are controlled by people who do have secret meetings. So <laughs> there is that, but. Maybe, I don't even know if, I, I, I'm sorry, just, I don't find, and I don't hold anyone in that high regard. So I don't even think, uh, <laughs> oh, this brilliant person. There's this puppet master. I, I don't see any puppet masters. I see a lot of, people who are really good at one thing and not that confident at the rest of it. Um, but 
they're the architecture of it's this architecture that, like I said, you the way that Google is set up, the way that the internet is set up, these news organizations that are in the business of publishing a story that gets that is immediately released to uh, through social media pages, um, notified to people, notified to uh, notifications to followers and those who have accepted push notifications for for apps, things of that nature. They know they pump out a story. It's often to the universe. So, like I said, if they see a story from another, from a competitor, another organization that seems like it would be of interest, they pump out the story crafted for shareability and for searchability in Google and the search engines, and and, and you're off and running. It, it's just a, it's an it's incidental to the way the architecture uh, of of how the internet works and information flow, um, and uh, and when. Then you add, add the second element of that, that is the, the social coercion, that the people who work at these organizations, they all know each other, okay? They're friends with each other. They went to college with each other. They follow each other on Twitter, and they don't want to say anything that might put them up for, for, uh, um, uh, for up to social contempt. Like they don't want a bunch of, of their buddies, you know, they work over at Slate and they, they don't want to publish an opinion that a bunch of their, their buddies or people who know them or who follow them over at CNN then hop on and look, look at this asshole. He, de- he got off code or he said something insensitive that every it, it's, it's all this, it's this calcified groupthink because nobody wants to be criticized because they think that there will be there will be uh, professional consequences. So that's my no. If you want my number one piece of advice, yes, go look in trying to to search uh, search for truth on the internet in the digital age. Look for people who con- look for people who are willing to go against their own it, it, that, that can hold that that put out stories that may run contrary to each other. Um, uh, that may may run contrary to each other. People who deviate from what their their audience may want to hear, um, that those are the people I think who are the most trustworthy, right? Because you can tell the ones who show that they don't care uh, about social approval, those are the best people to follow. Glenn, Glenn Greenwald's my favorite because Glenn Greenwald does not give a shit, okay? He does not care. He, he lives down in Brazil. He does not have to submit to the social codes of the Brooklyn journalistic class, um, and he doesn't care if he gets hated on. And, and I appreciate his voice. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, what are your thoughts on how people can, because the censorship is so egregious and because, you know, there is, a, whether it's by design or, you know, whether it's just this uh, collaboration, mm-hmm. the, the result is that there is a meta narrative that's being put forth, uh, mm-hmm. you know, across the board. I mean, we're certainly seeing it with, uh, you know, the current, virus or whatever, um, yeah. but, it, uh, but there are many meta narratives that are being put forth. And it's really hard to go against that as an independent, you know, you mentioned uh, Glenn Greenwald, but he's certainly at this point, not in, you know, he, he's not a small time guy, you know, we know who he is. Yeah. So, you know, somebody who has an established record has a mm-hmm. lot more uh, ability to do that. What is your advice for someone? I mean, like when you know you you kind of just kind of came on the scene doing this what what are some of the hurdles? I mean I think that what I, I attribute whatever success I have had thus far to um is I do the work and and I'm not I, I I'm not cherry picking the people can tell I'm not cherry picking easy stuff 
I, I am, don't communicate in memes. There's a bunch, there's a big share of our communication right now is memes that seem to make a point in a very sarcastic manner than then dunk on the other side. And it's tempting to do that, but don't. If you're trying to make a point about why a mask policy is stupid, show the reasoning behind it. If you're trying to, um, if you're trying to expose why some politician, like break it down, say, here's, here's, I guess my law school training, you know, did help a little bit here. And then, okay, here's the conclusion. Where, what are the, the facts and the sub arguments that support that? And when I kind of lead people to a conclusion, as opposed to just state one, it goes over a lot better. And you can avoid, and, and I think you, you avoid the censors, both the, the, the kind of structural censors and those who wish to simply smear, your, smear you for expressing certain points of view. So if they can tell, if you give us, everyone's so used to seeing a kind of Neanderthal knuckle dragging um, uh, uh, set of views on one side, that if you could actually be sophisticated in how you construct your arguments, you can get away with a lot more. Ah, interesting. That's great advice. What do you think are some of the biggest problems plaguing our, you know, clown world today? Mm -hmm. um, I'll say right now, I think it, divisiveness based on demographic category, racializing everything, um, putting everything in terms of gender and detaching ourselves from the biological foundation of whether or not you're a man or a woman. I'm sorry, these are all bad things. I'm, I'm, uh, I know these days saying such crazy things as, hey, we should not be viewing, we should not be encouraging people to put the, their skin color towards the forefront of their consciousness. I think that's bad. Okay. Yeah. That's not good. Trying to, trying to, you know, procedurally gerrymander results in all institutions uh, 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 be a race and skin color, that is bad. And a bunch of people are going to say, Oh, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, straight white male. Well, you know something? Maybe it is easy for me to say. Doesn't mean I'm wrong. This is not making our society a kinder, gentler, more just place. It's not. Okay. It's making everyone hate each other. It's making uh, organizations operate in stupid manners that are irrational in ways that do not pass, like they do not pass scrutiny, right? Like, why is Joe Biden, uh, 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 why, uh, or, uh, looking at a, a lot of college admissions right now that all of a sudden the impact of racial gerrymandering on or, or quotas or affirmative action in higher education seems to have a pretty deteriorative, uh, de uh, uh, corrosive impact on the numbers for Asian Americans. Do they not count, right? Or- Well, they're white like, adjacent, you know. I guess so, or, or claims about representation in the tech world. I go, I, I'm Caucasian, I've worked at a bunch of tech companies. I'm usually the minority. I mean, Indian Americans are vastly overrepresented based on their share of the population. When you want to know something, those people earn their jobs. They're good at what they do. So you see how trying to, to carve everything up by race, it leads to all these, these ridiculous, it leads to all these absurdities. So I, I, yeah, that's a, a key feature of clown world. Um, of uh, 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 trying to, every time someone says something um, off color or offensive or, or, uh, or out of touch, just advocating or, or, you know, or kind of screeching for, for some sort of punishment, let shit go. No, we need less punishments. We need more people able to make mistakes, do their own thing, um, and, and everybody just move on after 48 hours, which is the way that it should fucking be. Um, but it's not that way these days. We're treating everyone like kindergartners. 
Like, oh, you, 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 you pinched Susie during recess, go sit in the corner for two hours. This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And it's also not, um, it, it's not evenly distributed. Punishment. No, no, it's, it's complete. It's asymmetrical. It's lopsided. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's just, everyone believes that this is, uh, it's the proponents of operating like this think that we're building a better world, but they don't look at the results. We're, we're not building a better world. We're not, our society is not kinder, gentler, more benevolent and, and more, um, more accommodating of human flourishing, right? We're making things worse. And sorry, maybe it sounded like a good idea. Maybe <laughs> thinking that uh, maybe the idea that we needed to, you know, quote unquote, redress historical wrongs, although, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, uh, my ancestors were chased out of every civilization they've been in for 4,000 years. I'm sorry, I'm not looking for anyone to adjust these wrongs. Maybe it made sense to try to uh, approach things the, this way, but the results are in and, and we run this experiment and it's a failure. It's time to go back to a colorblind society. It's time to go back to a more forgiving society uh, uh, where crassness and you know sometimes boorish behavior or off-color behavior is not such a big deal. Right. What sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never harm me. Right. And this, it's ridiculous. <laughs> only children, <laughs> only children think words harm them. It's truly, truly absurd. Well, yeah. uh, so I, I know we should wrap this up pretty soon. Uh, what do you see for the future? Do you think there is a hopeful future? What, what, what do you think? Um, I mean, I'm both, I'm kind of, let's call it foundationally pessimistic, but I, okay. I, I do see some there, there's kind of a, a the foundation is pessimist, is pessimist, pessimistic, um, but there's a tangent, there's kind of a fork that is positive. I mean, the best uh, allegory I can give here is the, the media, you know, traditional media versus Substack, right? Is these traditional media organizations just became such garbage and they've been irretrievably poisoned. Um, and I don't think they're going to recover. However, what happened is a handful of dissidents who were really smart, independent, and I think really good at their job, then were able to, off, you know, off ramp go to a new a new platform and a new organization substack they're making more money they're doing better work and it's almost like this independent media ecosystem has developed in parallel with the traditional media e ecosystem and the traditional media ecosystem is going to continue to be just as divisive and corrosive and incompetent as it has been over the past 10 to 15 years most of the past 10 um but in parallel a new I don't want to say better, but a really quality society or, or news ecosystem is being built almost simultaneously. So I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a pair, you're going to have a, a kind of parallel universes running at the same time of the, the poisoned institutional world um, that is all the, the uh, legacy organizations and institutions that have been around for God knows how long. And then you're, there's going to be a parallel society of, of newly built organizations that may not be perfect, but will at least be a, a stomachable alternative. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that there's a new media burgeoning. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I do have a lot of hope for it and I hope for it to be a more truthful, uh, you know, more filled with integrity. Uh, yeah, or just better. Like these 
these news organs, they're not good. They're not comprehensive. They're not well-reasoned. They're not fact-based. I mean, Brian Stetler, like, who the fuck? Like, this guy's not good. Don Lemon, like, he's not smart. No. Okay? <laughs> Sean Hannity, like, these, these people are not good at their job, right? And so hopefully just, I, I see, I, I encounter so many independent journalists that just are, uh, their, their left pinky has more brains than these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me, I think uh, more than even the uh, in intelligence factor, which is certainly uh, relevant and uh, of value, I think the, I I'd like to see and what I think I do see burgeoning in the new media is a uh, resurgence of intellectual curiosity. And I think that, yeah. that is so profound and so uh, integral to any hope for the future. Uh, because it's really, it's, right? It really stems from curiosity. We need people mm -hmm. to be asking the tough questions. You know, it's not always about the answers. It's really yeah. about the questions, raising these questions. So, yeah, I, I think it was uh, Rich Feynman, uh, the scientist, who said, you know, there are many questions that cannot be answered, but there are no answers that cannot be questioned. <laughs> right? Very so, much so. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much. If you have anything you want to close out with, please do and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, no problem. Um, it, my uh, my socials are my name, primarily Twitter and Instagram, Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Um, on Instagram, do not fret if you don't see my name come up. I've been search banned, so you have to type in my entire name, each, each letter, and then it'll come up. Um, my podcast is called The Prevailing Narrative. Uh, it's available on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Release episodes consistently every Thursday, but might switch up that that schedule a little bit. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. I mean, I have, I have some great guests try to attack the, the issues of the day. And, um, you know, Courtney, I really uh, uh, appreciate uh, you having me on. And this, this is great. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.